Well, good morning, church. Had to check the program when I came in, make sure it was time for me. Uh, As I catch my breath from hurrying upstairs from the gathering service, let me ask you a question. How much would you be willing to risk if you knew you had nothing to lose? I want us to look this morning at a story that Jesus tells in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. As we look into this text, Jesus has been teaching about His return. He tells a story in the first part of chapter 25 about being ready when He returns, what the kingdom will be like as He returns. And then here in the passage we're going to look at today, beginning in verse 14, He tells another story about what the kingdom is like. And we have come to call this passage the parable of the talents. And so if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as I read these words of the Lord Jesus for us this morning. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14, Jesus says, Again, the the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said... I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew, did you, that I harvest where I haven't sown, gather where I haven't scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned... I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, we like stories where the underdog wins and 
the unlikely candidate turns out to be the hero. The Bible is full of stories like that. Joseph, for example, who rose from prison to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. Or Moses, the stuttering spokesman for God who led the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. David, the shepherd boy who became king of Israel. Esther, the Jewish girl who became a Persian queen and saved her people. So on and so forth. The Bible has many stories like that. And Jesus himself even seems to favor the underdog. He makes a point to reach out to outcasts like little Zacchaeus up in the tree or the woman at the well in Sychar. He reaches out to the blind beggars. He says the last will be first, the first will be last. He tells stories where people like Samaritans turn out to be the good guy. But this story is different. The little guy is not the good guy at all. In fact, he's the goat. He's the one who drops the ball. He's the one who goofs it up. He's the one who misunderstands. It's almost like Jesus is picking on Cinderella because he's the one who gets cast out, thrown out. He doesn't get to go to the ball at all. Now, why do you suppose that is? Maybe this story is hard on the little guy because we tend to identify with the little guy in this story ourselves. At least we feel like this guy. There are always so many others who are more blessed, more important, more significant, it seems, than we. The world turns on the big decisions of the Winston Churchills, the Ronald Reagans, culture follows the Michelangelos, the Leonardo da Vinci's. The money flows to the Elon Musk's and the Mark Zuckerberg's of the world. We always see those who have more than we have. We don't especially see ourselves typically as that blessed, fabulously wealthy. We're not the ones who win the sweepstakes. It's always the other guy who catches all the breaks, right? And yet, we, you and I, we are fantastically rich. Whether we have five talents or just one. Now, what was a talent, you might wonder? Well, it's not what you typically think of as a talent today, a special ability or something like that. In Jesus' time, a talent was a measure, a weight uh, of money. In fact, in this parable, the, the New International Version translator, translators communicate that by saying, a talent's worth of money. Now, a talent was worth what? It's been valued very widely over the years, but... Almost everyone agrees it was a lot of money. It was a huge sum. One observer says it was worth 15 years' wages for a worker. Another one said that a talent equaled 130 pounds. And if you had that much gold, today it would be worth almost $3 million. So for the purposes of our story, let's be somewhat conservative, even with inflation and all the other intangibles and let's just suppose that one talent was worth five hundred thousand dollars not three million just half a million still a sizable sum of money let's take a look at how this story unfolds 
the master is planning a trip. But before he goes, he puts his three servants in charge of his money. He prepares three envelopes, if you will, with a check in each one of them. And the first guy gets his envelope and he opens it up and he looks in and his eyes get big as saucers, his jaw drops. He says, dang, what a blessing. Same thing with the second guy. The first guy has two and a half million dollars worth of talents. The second guy gets a million dollars worth. Even the third guy gets a, a half a million. 500 big ones right there in front of him. You see, every servant of the master is wildly blessed. There really isn't an underdog in this story. They all have tremendous advantage at the hand of the master. You and I are not underdogs either. We are tremendously blessed at the hand of our master. In terms of the natural blessings and the advantages of life itself, not one of us is any less than fantastically wealthy, a fortune. Life is a gift. Time is a present. It's been gift-wrapped, handed to us by our loving Heavenly Father, our Master. So open up your envelope, look inside, recognize what He's blessed you with. And see if you aren't just as astonished as these servants. Dang. Well, the Master, after giving His servants these blessings, these talents of money, he takes off. He leaves. He doesn't say goodbye. Doesn't give them any instructions. He just leaves the three of them there. And the first two are excited. They've got all this money. The first one says, wow, he's dreaming big. He says, I've always wanted to get involved in real estate, but I, I couldn't ever buy any property. Now I can buy some property. I can renovate some things. I can turn this into something. He's excited the second guy, same way. He says, I've always wanted to start a business, but I didn't have the capital to do it. Now I can do it. I can get, in, get this started. I think I can grow it, maybe become an, an empire or something. They're excited, but the third guy, he says, are you guys crazy? Are you nuts? That's the master's money. What if those things fail? What if you lose it? Can you imagine what would happen? If the master came back and you, you didn't have it, well, those guys don't listen to him. They head off to do their thing, and he's left right there all by himself. And he's not excited. He's worried. He's scared. He's concerned. And so he's so afraid that he might lose his master's money that he cashes that check. He takes the cash. He puts it all in a mason jar, stuffs it in there, screws the lid on tight, Goes out in the backyard in the middle of the night and digs a hole. Drops that mason jar in there looking around to see if anybody's watching. He covers it back up and he hurries back home and he thinks, There, now I'm safe. But he doesn't sleep well that night. In fact, he has to go out into the backyard every so often, dig up the money, make sure it's still there. The whole time his master's away. And the Bible says it's a long time. 
The whole time he's worried, he's concerned, he sweats about losing what the master has entrusted to him. Finally, the master comes back. And the first guy reports that he has doubled his money. Five has gotten five. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. Same thing with the two-talent guy. He's doubled his money too. The two has become four. And the master praises him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. And then it's the third guy's turn. When you ever were a student, did you ever turn in your homework only to realize that everyone else was turning in something different from what you thought the assignment was? Well, that's exactly the position he found himself in. He couldn't give the glowing report that the other two did. Instead, he says, Master, I knew you were a hard man, stern man, that you, you reap where you don't sow, you gather where you haven't scattered seed, so I protected your money. I've kept it safe. Every cent is still there. I haven't lost a nickel. Here it is. You can have it to tell you the truth. It's been a burden to me all this time, worrying about it. I'm glad for you to have it back. It's a relief for you to have it. Take it. It's yours. And what does the master say to that? You wicked, lazy servant, he says. So you, you, you think I'm a hard man. Well, you should have at least given it to the bankers so that I could have drawn some interest on it. Take what he has, give it, give it to the guy with the ten, and throw him out. And Jesus uses the language, by the way, that he uses to describe hell. Throw that worthless servant outside into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? The master got his money back, didn't he? He didn't lose any of it, did he? What's the problem here? The problem is, it's not about the money. The third guy, he, he thought it was about the money, but it wasn't about the money after all. Nowhere in this story, if you notice, does the master take back his money. He gives more to the first two servants, and he uses the, the money that the third servant safeguarded, gives it to the first servant as well. Nowhere does he take back. The money. It's not about the money. The third guy was wrong about the money because he was wrong about the master. He was wrong about the gift because he was wrong about the giver. He calls him a hard man. A man who takes what might not be his. Who is stern and demanding. But that wasn't the master's nature at all. In fact... According to Jesus' story, he was the kind of master who at the end of the day liked to reward his servants with a well done, a pat on the back, and an invitation to, to enjoy the fruits of their labors. But this one talent servant couldn't see that side of his master. 
Because he wasn't involving himself in his master's work, he had become isolated, frozen with fear and cowardice, blinded by his spectator's view of life. As if the point of life were to make it safely to the point of death. How many of us have become spectators looking on at what God is doing in His church and in His world? not involved, telling ourselves, well, someone else will take care of that. That's not my responsibility. I've got my hands full here. And sitting on the sidelines instead of getting involved, taking the risks with what God has entrusted to us for the sake of His kingdom and His Son. How many of us have allowed our detached view to begin to blind us to the true nature of our Master? So that he becomes a hard taskmaster rather than a heavenly father. All because we become watchers rather than doers in God's program. Our master has abundantly given us all of the resources we need and he has invited us to join the fun. How many are missing out? The late Eugene Peterson tells a story from his childhood when he was a a five-year-old boy in Montana. He had a dream of riding on a John Deere tractor. His neighbor was a farmer. His name was Leonard Storm. And he uh, used to drive his John Deere tractor up and down the fields, plowing the fields. And little Eugene would stand at the fence row watching him for, for hours on end. Until one day, Mr. Storm saw Eugene over there at the fence row and he stopped his tractor and stood up and began to wave his arms and and call to him, but the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. Eugene couldn't hear what he was saying. He just knew he, he looked agitated. He looked angry. He was waving his arms wildly and, and Eugene thought, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And, and he turned and he hightailed it home. Tears in his eyes, feeling rejected and scolded. But that Sunday at church, Mr. Storm tracked down little Eugene and asked him, Eugene, why didn't you come out into the field and ride the tractor with me on Thursday? Eugene said, well, I didn't know I could. I I thought you were chasing me away. I thought you were mad. Mr. Storm said, I called to you. I even waved to you. Why did you leave? Peterson said, I didn't know. I didn't know what you were saying. And so Mr. Storm said, well, what do you do when you want somebody to come to you? And Eugene put his little finger out and he did something like that. (laughs) Mr. Storm said, that's piddling, boy. On the farm, we do things big. And so the next time Eugene saw Mr. Storm on his tractor, a little boy got to drive a big John Deere tractor down the field for the first time in his young life. How often do we run in fear when we could be enjoying some of the greatest blessings God has in store for us? How do you see your life as you look at it? How are you investing the master's generous gifts he's given to you? When you stand at death's door and look back, from eternity's edge. Will you be saying, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I took that risk. I'm glad I stuck my neck out over there. 
And will the master say, I'm glad you did that too. Wasn't that great? Think back over your life as you sit there today and what you've done with the talent that's been given to you by your master. As I look back on my life, I realize in astonishment that it's been 44 years since I graduated high school. I remember it like it was yesterday, but it's been more than four decades ago. 44 years that are gone now in my rearview mirror, I'll never have them back. A talent's worth of time, if you will, that God has given me. What have I done with that? Is God pleased with how I've used that talent in my life? I spent 15 years of that in college and seminary, trying to learn enough about God and the, and the Bible and Jesus to be able to stand up here and, and talk to you about Jesus. Does God look at that as a wise investment? I hope so. I've taught some seminary courses. I've preached thousands of sermons, taught countless Bible studies, given hundreds of thousands of dollars in tithes and offerings to God's work through His church. But I don't really look at that as a risk. It's not a risk to bet on a sure thing. That's all I've been doing. But what about other things? Well, I did pack up and move to a little town in Texas to pastor my first church, and that was a huge step of faith for me, this uh, introverted country boy from Oklahoma. But God blessed. Those are wonderful people. God did more there than I deserve, certainly. And when my next church began talking to me about becoming their pastor, the interim pastor was a professor at the seminary, and I talked to him on the phone, and he, he told me, literally, he said, it will be a risk for you to take this church. I took it anyway, and God gave me 18 fruitful years there, blessed me with fantastic blessings. God had given us one building. We we, were, we owed money on that. We paid it off, and then God gave us two more and helped us pay those off and buy land, and, and it was a wonderful thing. And now here I am in another wonderful church. The times are challenging. The days are hard, but I, wouldn't, I would rather do it with you than with anyone else. It's wonderful to be surrounded by such a great group of God's people. God continues to bless. God continues to amaze me doing more than I've deserved. And over those 44 years, I've risked rejection many times, telling people about Jesus and been rejected. But you know what? Some of those people have invited Jesus to become their Lord and Savior. God has given me the privilege to preach the gospel on four continents. And there are only seven. One of them's full of penguins. If I ever find myself there, I'll tell those penguins about Jesus. <laughs> Ukraine has been in the news over the last year, as you well know. I got to go on a mission trip to Ukraine once upon a time. And on a Sunday morning after preaching in a, a packed house church, I went out with some of the students we were teaching over there and, and walked up and down the streets of the little village outside of Kiev where we were. 
And I, we found four students, four young people, sitting on a bench, just passing the time. And I had the privilege of telling them about Jesus and leading them through a translator to invite Jesus Christ to come into their heart and their lives. Dang. <laughs> I don't know if you see that the way I do. Gosh, God really does reward the risks that we take for Him and His kingdom. Now that's my testimony. And believe it or not, this nearsighted, flat-footed, asthmatic, introverted Oklahoma country boy is just a one-talent wonder just like you. What are you doing with yours? Well, you say, wait a minute, Pastor, what if we risk it and lose? What if it all falls apart? What if the risk doesn't pay the reward? Well, think about it with me for just a moment. Let's look at the story through a slightly different lens. Let's say that servant number three takes his $500,000 and he goes and he buys an old building downtown. He renovates it, turns it into a homeless shelter. He tries to get some people come in and teach some, some job training and literacy classes. He starts a soup kitchen there in a clothes closet and he gives people a warm place to sleep when it's cold outside. And every chance he gets, he tells people how much God loves them and how much God cares about them. But very few of them listen. They ignore his words. They misbehave in his shelter. They steal his supplies. And one night a gang of them gets rowdy and they burn the whole place to the ground. And just then, the master shows up for a report. And others are, are saying, well, here's what we did, and here's what happened, and, and this is the fruit that was born from this effort and this risk and, and all of this. And then the third guy, all he can say is, I'm sorry. I tried. I really did. I had high hopes, but... Nothing worked out quite like I hoped, and well, there's nothing left. I lost it all. I can't even give back what you gave me. You know what the master will say? Well done. Good, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to give you many things. Come on in. Join in, share in your master's happiness. I couldn't have asked for more. Because you see, it isn't success that the master seeks. It's the passionate risk of the gift on behalf of the one who risked it all on the cross for us. That's what it's about. And in the end, we're not going to be judged by what we store up, but rather what we use up and what we give up. Because our master always has more. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Whether we win or whether we lose, we come out ahead as long as we are willing to use what he's given us for His kingdom, His purpose, even if it's a risk. The only way we can lose is to be so afraid that we refuse to take the risk. Otherwise, we've got nothing to worry about. 
Our master is the master of all that is. So let me ask you again that question I began with. How much would you be willing to risk if you knew you had nothing to lose? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we beg your forgiveness for the times we have been too fearful, too afraid to risk what you've entrusted to us, to put it into use for you and your kingdom and, and trust the results to you. Forgive us for the times we have been too safe, too protective, too fearful. And open our eyes to the gift that you've given us. The fantastic wealth of, of life and breath and resources that you've put into our control. And God, give us the courage to put it all on the line for you and your kingdom. We know that's what you desire, God. We'll trust you for the results if it all burns down around us. We'll pray that you give us more to try again so that you might be glorified, that your kingdom might thrive. That's our prayer today, God, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.